Well, if you had to guess, how many medical mistakes do you believe lead to deaths in the United States per year? How many deaths due to medical mistakes, things like surgical errors, mixing up medications by the doctor? How many medical mistakes, how many deaths do you think there are per year in the United States? Myra Wattinger has a very, very interesting and tragic story. And what happened was she was a practical nurse. She did in-home care. She was 40 at the time of this moment, and she had been recently divorced, going through some depression. She was at this elderly man's home, and this man had a son who was a criminal, a violent person. As she went to leave this house, not knowing the situation, this man grabbed her, held her hostage, tortured her, and by the time she got free, within a matter of weeks, she realized that she was pregnant. She went to a doctor, tried to have the pregnancy terminated. The doctor would not do that. She went to a second doctor and a third doctor. They both said the same thing. So she waited nine months. The day she had the baby, she put an ad in the newspaper explaining there was a child she did not want. Would somebody adopt this baby? A few days later, a couple showed up, took this baby in, became the foster parents, raised this child for five years, and for whatever reason, Myra, after five years, went to that foster home with the police, said, I'm here to take my son back. We are leaving right now. This child, now a grown man, shared that moment. My foster mother began to weep uncontrollably, and she fainted, and Myra took her five-year-old son away. We'll come back to Myra's story here in just a moment. Smith Wigglesworth, early 1900s, shared that there's a difference between waiting on God to move or wanting to move God. He said, waiting on God to move, there's nothing to wait because he's already moved. That's what took place 2,000 years ago at Calvary. He says, wanting to move God, then, that's different because revival is not something that happens. It's something that you live, that you personally commit to and say, I want to move God through my prayer, my faith, fasting, personal holiness. The difference between waiting on God to move or wanting to move God. 1 Kings chapter 17 tells us about one of the most important people in Scripture, the prophet Elijah. We're told in 1 Kings 17, verse 2, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Elijah is somebody that we can look to to see if you want to have your own personal revival. He's one of the prime examples to look at. Elijah himself, about 850 B.C., prophesied to the northern part of Israel at a time when the country had turned to idolatry, Baal worship, famous people from history such as Jezebel lived at that time, one of his key enemies, another king, Ahab. So Elijah's going to speak at a difficult time in Israel's history, but we're told something fascinating in chapter 17. Verse 2, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, hide yourself by the brook Cherith. Hide yourself by the brook Cherith. Cherith, nobody knows where it was or is, but the word itself means separation. Elijah was called, personal revival, 
starts with separation. Separation from the old self, separation from bad influence, separation from sin, separation from that selfishness, separation that may be moving away from people that are a bad influence. Stop going to places maybe you used to go, doing things you used to do. Luke chapter 5, we are told that Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Some translations have a lonely place to pray. He himself practiced separation. Separation from the crowds. Separation from the noise. Separation from the, the pool of all the people wanting to drag him in a different direction. Consider another example, that of Moses, Acts chapter 7, verse 29 says that Moses fled to Midian. He lived there 40 years, 40 years before he would see the burning bush. He left Egypt four decades later. He has this experience with the burning bush. Did that 40 years change the life of Moses? We'll see that here in just a moment. Brian, Brian Dworskin, a songwriter, said this, Becoming a worshiper means becoming a warrior. And by toning that down, we have sent men and women away from the church in droves. It's time to call them back as warriors, surrendered to God, warriors who know their authority comes because they are under authority, warriors willing to act decisively in obedience to their commanding officer, Jesus Christ. And the key here is last sentence, even when everybody else is lagging behind in disobedience. Just a few short days after Easter, a time where many people in religion will attend church, mark it on their calendars, but it needs to become something more than a religious moment or a day in the spring. It needs to be our daily life that says, you know what, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone, and not something that is simply a holiday, but rather a day-to-day experience that we follow Christ and say, I'm not just looking for God to move. He already did that at the cross, at the empty tomb. I want my life to move God. I want to move into Cherith, that place of separation, to seek my own personal revival, even when everybody else is lagging behind in disobedience. So how many people die due to medical mistakes every year? Third leading cause of death in our country. Number one, heart disease. Number two, cancer. Medical mistakes. 250,000 people a year. Third leading cause of death. Again, surgical errors. Doctors mixing up medicines. 250,000, not to say that some doctors don't do amazing things, but it is to give us pause to stop and say again, where does the world often go for answers and how often those answers simply are not the truth. But to stay instead, let me move after the one who's really life, who's really truth. I put my faith, my hope in him. How much did Moses change? Forty years of that Cherith separated life. Separated from his old life 
in Pharaoh's household where Moses would have become the ruler of the world himself. Hebrews eleven twenty four says, By faith, when he was grown, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. First thing is, he did not identify with that past. He was now in Cherith, separated from that. The next thing we are told, he chose to suffer oppression with God's people rather than experience the fleeting enjoyment of sin. He made a choice about his own personal comfort versus, versus his own personal integrity. Here's the key, though. Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. What is the reproach of Christ? Throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament, it makes clear to die on a cross, to die on a tree was considered a curse, was considered something for a criminal. And so when people saw what happened to Christ and when they heard about the resurrection, what offended people was knowing how Jesus died versus those who believe fully in Christ, who embrace it and say it's through the power of the cross that I know life. And so Moses said, I'll take that reproach of Christ, one who died like a criminal on my behalf, rather than all the wealth and treasure of Egypt. That's moving into Cherith, that personal revival. Philip Green said, you have a choice. You can pursue the accolades of this world or the affirmation of God. The accolades of this world or the affirmation of God. Stepping into that cherith is where we say, I want to be in that separated place because I want the affirmation of God. Not pursuing the things of the world. Brings us back to Myra Wattinger's story. She raised that, she raised that child from age 5 to 15. Struggled with mental disorders due to what had happened, being attacked, suffering depression, becoming an alcoholic herself. For some reason, when that child was 15, the biological father, that violent criminal, showed up at the house and wanted to see this biological son. And for whatever reason, Myra agreed to let that happen. This man came around a few times, and then one day, he attacked Myra again this time beating her senseless, believing that she was dead, he left. The son came home, found his mother unconscious, able to revive her. She was taken to the hospital. She would recover. But that son went back to the house, figuring that this man, his own biological father, would return. And he waited for that to happen. And several hours later, sure enough, this man showed up at the house. This young teenager at 15 pulled out a rifle 
aimed it at his father, picked up the phone, called the police, told them what had happened, and that that man was now at the house again. He hung up the phone, and he dared his biological father to move. The man remained still. Police arrived. They found out the whole terrible story. Eventually that man was placed in prison for a long, long time. This young man would find out that his mother had been keeping a secret. She came home from the hospital. She couldn't handle being a mother. She said she never really could. She asked him to go back and live with the foster family. She left him a note that explained she may never see him again. This young man was crushed by that, as anybody would be. When the foster family he knew at five years old now showed up, ten years later he found out the secret. They had been trying to contact him many times over and over and over, sending letters, sending gifts, and each one his mother had thrown in the trash. She didn't want him to know they still cared. And at 15, he went back to that foster family, found out how much they cared. But they explained to him, listen, your past has a lot of hurts, a lot of pain, a lot of brokenness. The answer for everything you need is Christ. This young man got down and prayed, received Christ that very night. He was baptized You might know him, and we'll come back to his story in just a moment. One of the most beautiful verses in Scripture is in the small book of Hosea. Small book in the Old Testament. Hosea chapter 3 verse 2 says, I bought her to me. The man speaking is Hosea. The person he bought was his wife, Gomer. Fascinating story that takes place. Hosea is a prophet in the Old Testament. One day God says he's going to be a living parable. Tells him to marry this woman named Gomer, knowing and being told she will be very unfaithful. And you're going to be a living parable to represent that Israel had been unfaithful, chasing other gods, serving Baal, and living in sin. So Homer marries Gomer. And sure enough, she cheats on him many, many times. And then one day, she disappears. And what happened is she found herself then a slave in that culture. A person became a slave if they owed a great debt or some volunteered to become one because they had no other option and they were going to starve to death because no one would hire them. Whatever happened for Gomer she had hit rock bottom and in desperation was either put into slavery because she could not pay debts or volunteered to go into slavery because she was so desperate. Either way, a very, very hopeless situation. And now Hosea buys her back. Hold on for the rest of that verse in a moment. Romans 5 says God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ray Comfort says, 
1 Corinthians tells us these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. As Comfort says, faith, hope, and love are linked together for a reason. If you lose hope, it's because you've lost faith. If you've lost faith, it's because you have lost sight of love. Scripture says, so great the Father's love for us, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's the key to keeping faith. Because if you can keep sight of love, which is perfected in Christ, who says, I loved you so much, I died on a cross, then you can have faith. Because that love can never be taken away. That's the picture of Elijah going off to Cherith, separated from his past, from the people, from sin, to just know the love of Christ. That's Moses saying, I'll take the cross of Christ, his perfect love, his perfect sacrifice over all the wealth of Egypt. That's what we'll see here clearly with Homer, excuse me, Hosea and Gomer. Holding on to love, you never lose sight of faith. Well-known part of the whole picture moving to Calgary is Matthew 26, 14, which says, Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver Jesus to you? And of course, they responded to him, 30 pieces of silver. Go back to Hosea chapter 3, verse 2, as we close. Hosea says, I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver. Why was Jesus sold for 30 pieces of silver? That was the price of a slave, the lowest person in society. So the chief priest said, we'll give you the price for the lowest person in society. Hosea redeemed his wife, Gomer, back, not for 30 pieces, but for 15 pieces of silver. If a slave was at the lowest rung in society, Gomer was even lower still. Whatever situation she had found herself in, she was at such a low point that when Hosea arrived, the people said she's not even worth the price of a slave. How about half price? So far had she fallen. But the beautiful part, again, of this story and why this verse is so powerful is Gomer represents you and me. That in sin, in selfishness, in compromise, we had hit rock bottom and gone even lower still. And God demonstrates His love for us in this. Christ died for us while we were yet in that place that He might take us higher and higher and higher. That young man grew up to be the well-known minister, James Robison. Partnered with Billy Graham, Today, 50 years, he's been on television, daily Bible program, written books, traveled the world. He has a 
outreach program to feed hungry children around the world. His life impacted millions and still impacting millions today. He put it like this. Here I was, an illegitimate child whose criminal father abandoned him before he was ever born, whose mother had given him away by placing an ad in the newspaper, who grew up feeling overlooked, unloved, totally rejected, and almost invisible. And God said to me, Son, I see you. I choose you, and I want to use you. That's why Moses said, I'll choose the reproach of the cross over all the wealth of Egypt. Because in the cross, all things are made new. The redemption price is paid. And no matter how far we have fallen through the promise that He is risen, He is risen indeed, He takes us higher and higher and higher and declares us no longer a slave, but a friend. Declares us no longer at the bottom of the ladder, but now royalty in His kingdom, where then we find our life perfected in love. And when you keep sight of love, faith becomes all the easier. And when you walk in faith, hope abounds. Promise is, He is risen. He is risen indeed.